Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Speaking of being black and making moves and changing the 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 alchemy of things, uh, she on point <laughs> out there with her pirouettes. Uh, now has a new book. She's the author of Black Ballerinas: My Journey to Our Legacy. Let me welcome the great Misty Copeland. Thank you. Hi. Honor. Honor. Thank you. Definitely. You know, um, for many young girls uh, in America, you were the first person that they saw that resembled them. And I'm sure awakened in them. I can do that. She's doing that. I can do that. So I want to just thank you for you know, making a pathway for little girls to imagine themselves. You didn't really have that. No, you know, that this has not been something, you know, it's so fascinating. And I was just, I was just listening to, you know, the conversation you were having. Um, And, you know, it's, it's so fascinating to me to learn about all of the different experiences that black people have, especially in America. And we're not a monolith and we don't all have the same experience not every black person comes from the hood and is poor and is, you know, in terms of the ballet world, not every black person is saved by some white savior and brought into this world and shown the light. And, and I, and I feel like this book, uh, black ballerinas has really been an opportunity for me to lend our stories and our contributions to, you know, what is perceived and shown to the world as an elite white European art form, but black people have been contributing to this art form for generations and generations. And it's not documented and it's not available for people of color to learn about our history. Therefore doing a disservice to the art form because we don't feel like it belongs to us. We don't feel like this is something that is for our community. And that's, that's the way I grew up. You know, I didn't, I didn't find ballet until I was 13 years old. And it was very interesting because growing up in Southern California, I grew up in a very diverse, you know, in very diverse neighborhoods and communities. And my identity was black girl, biracial. But my mama was like, when you leave that house, you're going to be seen by the world as black. It doesn't matter how much black you have in you. And that's and that's how I looked at the world and how I fit into it. So then when I came into ballet, I initially was introduced with a teacher who was so great about kind of blocking out all the the negativity and the racism. She was like, you're a prodigy and I'm going to keep you focused because we got to get you the training since this is such a late age to start. And then I was, and then I was thrust into the professional world in New York city And what's so crazy is that you're in New York and you're just surrounded by so much culture. And then I spend eight hours a day only seeing white people. And the first 10 years of my career, I was alone. The only black woman in a company of 90 dancers and, um, and not seeing yourself reflected, not feeling that you can connect with, you know, this thing that means everything to you. Um, you know, it starts to weigh on you. And I had to go out and find my history. And that's what this book is. Well, you found 27 uh, women. I, and, you know, I, I sit here every day. I have this show and I was thinking about it recently because, you know, the, the thing I'm most proud of is not this show. It's the other shows 
because, <laughs> you know, when you come into a space, I think we're all required to make space for other people and not shut the door behind us and not, you know, close the windows and lock them, you know, but to make more avenues for more people and more folk to be seen. And you've done that with this book. And that made me smile because there were names I hadn't heard of before. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, all right, this, oh, and you give their, their, their birth age, you know, with the date that they were born to give us the, the, the tapestry of time, you know, that it didn't, didn't start with Misty Copeland and no. here, here, here are their stories and they're telling their stories. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, it's been important for me throughout my, my career. You know, I've, I've always felt that being in a position, being in an elite company and being a black woman, um, that I didn't know when it was going to happen again in my lifetime. So I was like, this is it. I'm going to shout from the rooftops, my experience. I want to be seen and heard by more than the ballet community, because I don't know if I'm ever going to see a black woman in this company again in my lifetime. And luckily I have, there, there are two other black women in the company with me now, um, which still is not enough, but um, this book is by no means a comprehensive list. This, these are 27 dancers that I selected and wanted to do more, but we have a page limit on these books, so I couldn't do more. But there are so many more who have contributed, but you know, I really wanted it to be through my lens, how they've impacted my life and how I feel they've impacted uh, the, the broader ballet world. There's so many, there's so many young, um, young women, young men, young dancers in general that are impacted by your life and your experience. There's a, there's a young ballerina in my family. Her name is Lydia, Lydia Quinn. And she begged me to ask you two questions. Well, she didn't beg me. I begged her to give me two questions <laughs> and she did so happily. And, um, uh, one of her questions was that, did you ever feel ignored by your teachers? Um, as a black as a black ballerina, and she's really curious. She wants to know how did you deal with it if you were ignored by your teachers? Yes, this is this is such a, a common experience for black and brown people um, in this in this art form. And I I definitely I feel like throughout a lot of my career was overlooked. Um, it, it's so fascinating. It's like they tell you you stand out, and they tell you all the reasons why and therefore you don't fit in, but yet you're overlooked. It's like, if I stand out, don't you see me? <laughs> don't, don't, don't like acknowledge me. Like, um, but it, it's really been about, for me, finding a way to have conversations and share my experiences with, with the people that are ignoring me or, or not seeing me, whether that's the teacher, we call them the ballet mistresses, the ballet masters, uh, your coaches, the artistic staff. And as an adult, of course, it's easier, you know, but as a young person, like it's important to have a support system around you and people that can talk, you know, help you speak for yourself, but talk for you as well. But for me, it was just learning over time um, through, you know, trial and error, but sitting in that room, you know, with a room full of white men that run these companies and sharing my experiences and trying not to get too emotional. Cause if you're too emotional, then you're not built for this. Or, you know, it, 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 there's just, there's an array of, you know, these microaggressions and things like that, that happen that you just have to be so strong 
But at the same time, I encourage like young black girls to be open and be vulnerable. You have to find that balance and having a support system around you and people that are going to be there to be your strength when you can't um, is so important. I love that. What's the second question? Oh, the second question she asked was, um, she is she is a young teen and she's going off to, to these amazing camps and things like that. And she's definitely exceptional. But her second question, I think, which is born out of that was, was it difficult for you to connect with other dancers when you're the only Black one? Because she's often the only Black one. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, in the end, like we're all human beings. Like, yeah. we're, you know, like, and as an adult, it's easier to like acknowledge those things and like find things that you can have in common with people um, outside of your community. Um, but uh, I definitely experienced that, you know, coming into my own. Like I was 17 when I moved to New York City. Um, I had never lived away from home and you're just kind of thrust into this world and, um, you know, it was, it was difficult to, when you're younger, you want to connect with people over like yeah. the type of music you listen to, the type of food you eat. And that, you know, is so wrapped up in like our communities and yeah. as black people. And so, you know, that, that was, was really, really hard. And, and I had to kind of learn to kind of separate things and say like, okay, well, this is my work and I can connect with these people on different things. And then I'll have my friends or my circle outside that I can connect with on, on those things. And, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's important to um, kind of sit back and acknowledge that you're not going to always connect with everyone on every level um, and finding those commonalities. And, you know, if you're like, she is a dancer, like clearly she's going to have in common the love of dance and everything else connected to it with, you know, the people she's surrounded by. Yeah. But her peers aren't dealing with the microaggressions. Absolutely. The, you know, like as you're Absolutely. talking, I'm like, you know, there are unspoken, unspoken things that happen uh, among com people from the same tribe, you know? And that's and why it's important to have those people outside if they're not inside, to have those conversations with, to feel that you're not alone. That's literally been the driving force for me was having this group of black women that were not within American Ballet Theater. They weren't available to me in that company or they were black dancers that were in other companies that I could connect with on these issues and, and uh, you know, find the, the inner strength and, 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 and ability to the tools to deal with these problems when I was alone. We're talking with Misty Copeland. The book is called Black Ballerinas, My Journey to Our Legacy. It is beautifully illustrated by Selena Barnes. It is amazing. It, it feels like ballet. Her drawings are so the elegant and uh, the the just beautiful. It it feels literally like she has drawn ballet on the page. Um, Twenty seven. Tell us about um, Francis Taylor. Davis. Why did you put her among the 27? It's, yeah, she has such a fascinating story. And I feel like so many people connect Frances Taylor Davis to Miles Davis, who, who she was married to. Um, I actually, I think the first time I heard about her was through Prince and my time working with Prince and performing with All right, him. Pause, pause. Don't just throw my time. You know, you know, Prince, uh, that time I was working with Prince. All right. You're going to finish this story, but 
Don't, <laughs> well, Drew, don't let me forget to come back. Oh, I'm not going to let okay. you forget okay. that. So, <laughs> you know, Prince was, Prince was, you know, a part of that circle of incredibly powerful, impactful black people in my circle that kind of kept me on, on, on target and, and kept me uh, supported and strong and, um, and feeling confident in owning my blackness and owning my individuality. He was definitely behind all of that. You know, I, I worked with him on and off for about five years and, and was really, really close with him. Um, but through his love of Miles, I found out about Frances Taylor. And, um, and then I met her a couple of years later through a young girl. And this is how this book came about. Like, this is all like word of mouth. I can't, you can't Google these people. Well, maybe now you can Google some of them, but I wasn't online, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Googling these people. Um, this is all word of mouth. And so through a young black girl that I started mentoring when she was around 10 years old, a cousin of hers is related to Francis. And she was like, oh, you really should connect with her. And we started a conversation like over the phone and we became really close friends. And then when I was in LA, we would visit with each other and she would just tell me all of these incredible stories about her journey starting out in ballet. And most people wouldn't know that she went on to become an incredible uh, performer and dancer in like uh, concert dance and, and, you know, Broadway, but she started out as a classical dancer and she was the first black woman to perform on the stage with a Paris opera ballet. And it's, there's no record of it. And it's unbelievable. The erasure that happens, not just in classical dance with black people, but in general with, you know, the history with, with our history. And um, Francis was really a big part of me wanting to put the book out now. Um, she passed away along with Arthur Mitchell, who was the founder of Dance Theater of Harlem and the first black principal dancer at New York City Ballet um, in the 60s. And when my mentor, Raven Wilkinson, the three of them passed away within months of each other. And I remember I had opportunities to talk to Francis because she was you know, it, it was a process before she passed. And so, you know, she was in the hospital and I was having conversations with her and, and her like last words to me were find that bill, find that pamphlet of the performance from my Paris opera performance, because I've never been able to find it. Wow. And that's part of my, my mission in carrying these women's stories. I think that's like part of my purpose is, is to, um, to share, to share our rich history. As, as black people, we kicked off the show um, talking about the importance of talking to our elders, the importance mm -hmm. of having them share their stories because that's how we have memory. We collect our memories to bring forward so we can actually build. As black people, we had a 400 year interruption being, mm -hmm. you know, of building on our history and that was snatched away for 400 years and we're having to piece it back. We couldn't learn how to read. We couldn't keep our language, our culture, and we had to fold it into different things and, you know, figure out how to quilt and do other things to keep things alive. But when we stop talking and sharing, nobody else is going to do that work. So this right. that you're doing is super important. Misty Copeland is here. Uh, the book is called Black Ballerinas. Everyone should have it. Merry Christmas. Do that. Mm -hmm. And then give it as a gift because that's the kind of sharing that we need to do. Tell us about your time. Uh, the um, What am I saying? The, the, the time that the Dance Theater of Harlem. Uh, you, you perform yes. there. Uh, and I, you know, I think about you being in these all white spaces, but that you're in your twenties and, and, um, you were offered a position as a soloist. 
Yeah. What's so fascinating. There are a couple of like really powerful and important through lines with all these stories within this book and dancing of Harlem is definitely one of them. Um, I think as a black classical dancer, especially in a certain time period, um, you, you kind of had to go through Dance Seat of Harlem. Um, I was in a, a little bit after uh, that time. When I, when I joined American Ballet Theater, Dance Seat of Harlem was still uh, up and running, a company that people were like, you know, like that was the company you'd go to see to see Black Ballet. Um, and when I first joined ABT, Arthur Mitchell immediately connected with me. And this is why it's so important to have mentors, learn how to mentor and be a mentor, to carry these legacies, to to empower the next generation, to educate the next generation. And so Arthur Mitchell was that for me. And he invited me to come take class. He knew I was having, just through word of mouth from, from the Black ballet community, knew I was having a rough time at ABT and feeling like I wasn't gonna go anywhere. So I remember walking into those studios and just, it taking my breath away, like to be surrounded by people who look like you, who are wearing tights and ballet shoes that are their skin color. This is another microaggression in the classical ballet world. The skin colored tights is called European pink. And if that doesn't make you feel like you're never going to be a part of it, then I don't know what will. You know, that, you know pause so. there for a second, because, you know, growing up, we don't even consider that something's wrong with the band-aids being pink yep. and the tights yep. and the on point shoes being a certain color uh, to fit the flesh tone of white people. I never thought about that until I was a damn adult. And yeah. now you're just bringing it up in the ballet. <laughs> never thought about it until today. Yes, that is it, crazy. It's, it is crazy. And it's something that's often not acknowledged. Like, uh, oh, I, I, you know, I've had pe- pe- white people in the ballet world just say like, oh, I never thought about that as our as it representing our skin color. I just thought that was a uniform that's and it's like, well, no, <laughs> if you really do the research that that's, that was the origin of why that color was selected. Um, but I remember coming into dance suit of Harlem and they were the, you know, they were dyeing their own tights and dyeing their own point shoes to be the skin color of the dancers and to, you know, reflect and, and continue a through line. The whole point of ballet is like creating a beautiful line that's as long as possible. And as black people, it's like, you put on a pink tight and it cuts you right in half. It's like, there's not even a fair chance for us to like succeed. Um, Um, But I remember Arthur called me into his office afterwards and he said if he was like, I understand like what you're doing there at ABT and, you know, your purpose, but like you need to come here. Like you're going to be surrounded by people who look like you. You're going to have a support system. You're going to get to dance every role you want to dance. And he offered me a soloist contract. And I it was the best thing that could have happened to me because it made me think about things in a different way. And I felt like as much as Dance Theater of Harlem serves an incredible purpose and is pushing us forward in the ballet world, it's also, I think, important to have a Black dancer fighting for us in a white space. And ABT was always the company I wanted to dance with because of the repertoire that they do, because of the legends, classical ballet legends that have come through there, Mikhail Baryshnikov and Paloma Herrera and Gelsey Kirkland. And so it was always my dream. And I was like, I don't want my goal to be deterred because of these people winning. And so what was interesting though, is that Dance Suite of Harlem ended up folding literally like a couple of weeks later. So I, you know, was in God's plan <laughs> for me to stay at ABT and do the work that I'm doing and, and 
um, you know, it, I think it's important for us to be in these spaces to break down these walls and break down these barriers. It's also important for a dance theater of Harlem to exist and for us to have a space to feel represented and feel comfortable. Um, but it, it's a powerful, it's a powerful experience. What I what I experienced with Dance Theater of Harlem. When you think about all of the things like like all the paths that you're breaking, all the firsts and all of those things, right? But you still said that part of my mission is to tell the stories of of these other ball of these other ballerinas and talk about black ballet. When you're thinking about your role as the one, the the person who the camera is pointed at in this moment in time, what's the what are the other aspects of the responsibility for that? But how do you also protect your heart space and your head space from the pressure of having to be the one that the camera is on so often and the name that everybody brings up right how do you how do you balance that I mean I think that it's uh, like I said earlier like it's really having a, a good supportive group of people around you always that are going to be there to help you see the bigger picture and perspective on things and my way I think of dealing with being in this position and being the first has always been that like, I know in my heart that I'm not the first yeah. to, I mean, yes, I'm the first African-American principal ballerina with American Ballet Theater, but I'm not the first black ballerina. I am not the only black ballerina who has accomplished and attributed, contributed to this art form. And I think my way of dealing is knowing like they're all with me in this. And so I bring them with me. Like, you know, if I see, or, you know, the first time I ever performed the role of Firebird, which was the first principal role I did in a full length classical work at the Metropolitan Opera House at Lincoln Center. I had not been promoted to principal dancer yet. I was still a soloist. And I remember the work that me and my manager Gilda did, like it, it, it wasn't about just pr promoting myself. It was about getting up at 6 a.m. and going to a public school in the Bronx, going to Queen, like going to the communities and saying, come see yourself represented, come mm -hmm. support us. And I remember that first performance in New York, the Metropolitan Opera House being like almost full of black and brown people. Wow. And, and the overwhelming like, you know, applause when I came onto the stage, it was like, this isn't me, this is like for us. And I think that's how I've dealt with um, the pressures of being in this position is that like, I know I have to speak about how I got here and not just, you know, oh, I'm here and it's the Misty show. Like it's never been about that. Yes, it's it's important, I think, for me to be here in order to open the doors for the next, you know, beyond the beyond just the classical ballet world, like even getting opportunities like Under Armour and, and LG and Estee Lauder and Breitling, all of these important positions and, and platforms to have to be seen by more people. But, you know, it's it's about breaking those barriers so that the next black ballerina can get an up and not just be seen as. Um, you know, it's not just a white woman that's that represents ballet, you know, and so to be able to be a household name and a black woman who's representing ballet, that's the work I wanted to be doing. I love that. The athleticism that that it takes to do what you do. If you weren't a dancer, what would you <laughs> what what would you do? Right. Or if you weren't doing ballet, is there another dance to, form of dance? I'm curious. Um, 
I feel like, I mean, ballet was really like the perfect balance and things that I needed, but I feel like I would have found my way into something artistic and physical. I always say like, I love to cook and I love the creativity of cooking. Like maybe I would have been a chef, but I don't know if I need, I need something more physical. So <laughs> I don't know what that would be. I mean, I started out, my mom was a professional cheerleader for the Kansas city chiefs. What? And so Yes. Wow. She, yeah. So my background, you know, like is a lot of sports, like in my household, I never played, but like I was an athlete and, and, um, and that's like what I was surrounded by, but I was naturally drawn to like movement, uh, in an athletic way. So I don't know. I, I, I always say a chef, but who knows what I'd be doing on the side, something physical. And the, and the piggyback, how do you stay? Cause it is grueling on your joints, your toes, your feet probably look, well, yours not, you probably are doing something different to keep your feet not looking crazy. Uh, but what, how do you, how do you maintain your joints? What do you, what do you do? to keep dancing. Yeah. You know, the way that I describe ballet, you know, is, is it's equally, you know, you put as much investment into it as you would any professional athlete. So we take care of, we have the same injuries as football players and basketball players and soccer and hockey. And we take care of our bodies the same way, you know, and what's, what's different is that we don't have the same financial support. <laughs> so, you know, we don't have the, the top tiered, uh, you know, doctors necessarily or, or availability of certain products, but it's really, it's really the same, you know, you have to uh, rest your body and recovery. Like that's equally as important as the training that we put in. So sleeping, eating well, of course there are like, you know, certain ice pressure machines and things like that, that you use, but, but it, it's, it's similar to being an athlete and, and it's not a young man's game. And it, you know, it's not something that, you know, lasts forever, but, um, but it's really about, you know, what you're putting into your body, how you're fueling it and the rest that you're getting. All right. Last question. Uh, you, you said cooking, but now you have another passion closets. Um, <laughs> I my uh, what, can I can I jump yes, in on, on the closet on, thing? Yes. Uh, so I'm a big Mariah Carey fan. So I, I and so your <laughs> your conversation about the Mariah Carey closet was the topic of conversation for my household when we uh, when we talked about uh, building our closet. Uh, I know you get to ask a million amazing questions. I got to ask you about, about the closet. Are you in the closet right now? Cause I see a chandelier. I'm in the closet. (laughs) 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 My shoes over here. (laughs) My closet. Oh, she Um, actually is. Let me see the shoes. I'm in my closet. She is. She got a window in her closet. The, she's I got a giant ass. What the, the that's not a closet. Like, she's in the closet. She's in the, oh my she's in the Misty Copeland no, closet. It, it's been, you know, it's so, yes, I, I love, I mean, as a dancer, like I love costumes and I love like the, the idea of like creating like aesthetically appealing things that are, you know, the correct proportions for body types and things like that. Like I'm so fascinated by all of that, but you know, when my husband and I bought our, our first home, um, you know, it's, you know, such an achievement, first of all, for like two black people. And, um, and then when we were, you know, I was like, I need, I need my dressing room. (laughs) And I remember being, I must've been like 15 or 16 years old when Mariah Carey's Cribs came out. Yeah. 
And I know I'm like, Andrew, you know this story. But when Mariah Carey's Cribs came out, I remember just thinking, well, first of all, I just had such a connection, like being a biracial woman and seeing Mariah Carey at the age of seven when her debut album came out and feeling like I don't, I couldn't even like understand why I was drawn to her, but I could see myself in her. I could see someone's self someone I connected to who was succeeding and who was talented. And that's the importance of representation. But anyways, back to Cribs. I saw her closet, <laughs> I was like, and I was like, wow, like that to me, like I know what she's been through and that, you know, that she's built this for herself, you know, must feel so empowering. And it was kind of like the motivation behind my- oh. We're going to tweet that out as well so people can <laughs> look at your closet. Uh, and the book uh, should be on everyone's list for this holiday, Black Ballerinas, My Journey to Our Legacy, the great Misty Copeland. Come on back anytime. We appreciate you, family. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.